the first letter of Peter. Rid yourself of malice. Do not fear. Do not forget. Maintain love. Be not intimidated. Keep a clear conscience. Humble yourself. Discipline yourself. Keep alert. Do all you can. Be ready. Show consideration. You could wallpaper an entire room with Peter's eclectic collection of do's and don'ts. Today I will lift out of the multitude the one admonition that just could be your lifeline and mine in the midst of our decidedly uncertain times. Peter writes, always be ready to make your defense to anyone who demands an accounting for the hope that is in you. Clearly, Peter presupposes hope in the hearts and minds of his readers and the expansive blessing with which the epistle begins. He, he, he writes, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. By God's great mercy, God has given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfaded, kept in heaven for you. That is hope, the hope of which Peter writes. Traditionally, the church has emphasized assent to a certain set of beliefs as the most appropriate way of determining authentic Christian identity. I want to suggest today that Peter, in this letter, would lead us in a different direction, that beneath hope, beneath faith rather, is the more important matter of hope. Hope is attested to by the attitude with which one faces life, the way we deal with diversity. And as it was for those in the first century in Asia Minor, life was not easy. The threat of persecution was all around. There were plenty of grim realities. They were, however, because of the hope that was in them, going to be able to steadfastly pursue the good life and the life of service. It all grew out of that hope that was in them. This was not some free-floating, pie-in-the-sky kind of optimism. This was grounded hope, grounded in God's gracious act of redemption through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. A frequent contributor to the New York Times is a writer named Walter Kearns. A few years ago, a couple of Easter's ago actually, he began an article by telling of a conversation he had had with his three-year-old son Charlie about the Easter Bunny and how he had told Charlie that it was the bunny's job to first dye or color the eggs and then distribute and hide them for the Easter egg hunt. That can't be true, Charlie answered. 
Why not? His dad questioned. Well, it's simple, Dad. Rabbits don't have hands. It was the opening of a door for the father who went on to wonder if Easter has hands, so to speak, if it really can do much of anything anymore. Is it simply a a, a festival about buttercups and jelly beans, baked ham and potato salad? Is there any efficacy left in Easter? He, He sought for some counsel on this matter, and he went to see what he describes, and I'm only quoting this directly, Jeffrey, and I do not think it's an exact description of you, but he did go to see, quote, a gruff old Episcopal priest. (laughs) Certainly one that lives in New York City, I'm, I'm sure. He says that he confessed his Easter doubts to the priest, who listened with a big fist propped under his chin. I asked a lot of details for some reason. I wanted to know about the state of the body and who who really could have rolled the stone away. And after a while, the priest stopped me. He said, Walter, here's the important thing. Either it happened or it didn't. And if it didn't, it's all a lie. Neither of us would be in church today, would we? Indeed, there would be no church at all, would there? Now, that's not the most inspiring testimony to the resurrection I've ever heard. But I really like it. Because it's not based on proof. Please spare us from another analysis of the authenticity of the Shroud of Turin, for example. It is based on the effect of the resurrection. Now, I want to be very clear. Easter, for me, is based on the reality, and I'm using no words figuratively here, that God raised Jesus from the dead. And that that resurrection was and is the fulcrum on which all time and eternity turn. I believe in the resurrection of the body. I cannot prove to you the resurrection of the body, as in scientifically, but I will tell you this. I have bet my life on the resurrection story, and as I have lived as if the promises of God, as revealed most clearly in the resurrection, as I have lived as if those promises are true, that that one day unconditional love will carry the day. Unvarnished truth will survive every single lie that There will be a new heaven and a new earth, or the former things have passed away. I have found out that if I live future-oriented, 
putting both feet down on the strong promises of God that every single one of them turn out to be true day after day, year after year. No, the Easter Bunny has no hands, just four paws. But God is real. Christ's resurrection power is real and available in this world. And I'll even go so far as to say this. God has hands. Unlike the Easter Bunny, God has hands. This is not my idea. It was expressed eloquently in the 16th century by a woman named Teresa of Avila. Christ has no no body but yours, no hands, no feet on earth but yours. Yours are the eyes through which Christ looks, his compassion on this world. Yours are the hands with which he blesses all the world. Christ has no body on earth today but yours. Here's the great thing. Here's the great thing about what Teresa is suggesting. You don't even have to be in great shape, physically or even spiritually. You can come as you are and do what you can. You can sign up for a lifetime membership on what you might call God's Hope Squad. We are needed now, the Hope Squad. There is so much that draws us in the other direction, back into the darkness and into frustration and irritation that the world looks sickeningly the same, resurrection hope notwithstanding. But I would maintain today, on on the Tuesday of Holy Week, even as we have a lot of darkness to go through, and, and in the days ahead, particularly when we get to Friday, it will seem as if the other team has won hands down. This is exactly the time when we are to be on the field, acting, believing, inspiring with hope in our hearts and hope as the energy that fuels our actions. I'm teaching this class to preachers to be at at Candler School of Theology, and every one of them now has preached at least one sermon on how you just could should ask God to heal your troubles or to make your life go right, and if you believe enough, everything will be a-okay. Now, that's, that's Easter Bunny Easter kind of talk. I, I'd like to counter it with a, with a story like this, a true story about a hospital chaplain who was sort of learning the ropes. One day she was having a conversation with a, a woman uh, whom she had gotten to know who was dealing with a rapidly growing uh, terminal illness. And in the course of the conversation, The woman whose name was Susan said, Chaplain, I don't know you very well, but I know that God won't disappoint. 
and the chaplain feeling as if she were called to be the lady's reality check said, Oh, Susan, I have to say it could be that you will die. Well, you don't have to be a rocket scientist to know that if you're in hospice, you're probably at the end of your life. Well, chaplain, Susan answered, I guess especially in that case, in case that I die, I'm sure God will not disappoint. You can learn a lot from a conversation like that. Sometimes it's legitimate to hope for a cure. Sometimes our hope needs to be reshaped into the hope that there will be people around to treat us tenderly and lovingly as we come to the end of our days. And when we get to that point, hope looks like trust. Trust in the kingdom of God beyond death, always and in every situation. There is reason to hope. Do you recall the words that were inscribed over the gate of hell in Dante's Inferno? Abandon all hope, you who enter here. Let me just say that life without hope is hell. A life lived with hope in your heart and in your spirit will enable you to endure what has to be endured to find the energy to do things that need to be done. The great theologian St. Augustine wrote centuries ago, you're going to ask me where this quote came from, and I've read through all the Augustine I can read through, and I haven't found it, so maybe it's attributed to Augustine falsely, but by golly, today it's from Augustine. Hope has two daughters, anger and courage. Anger at what is and what ought not to be, and courage to make what ought to be come to be. Now you might say, I'm carrying on too glibly about hope, but I would say you're absolutely wrong. Not because hope is like a vitamin tonic that you drink and it makes you not get sleepy and be able to walk around the block. It's because hope is a spiritual gift. It's not your work. We Presbyterians like to make a big distinction between uh, faith and works. Hope is not a work. It is a spiritual gift. It's one of the most essential spiritual gifts. It comes from God, and your job is to open up your heart and soul simply to receive it. I love this memory of Viktor Frankl, who wrote the wonderful book, Man's Search for Meaning. He, he writes of a gray day when he was in a 
Nazi prison camp in Germany and how everything felt hopeless. His, his spirit was pierced with what he describes as enveloping gloom. Uh, I didn't see any way I could ever get it out of me, this gloominess. And just that minute, I looked up from my shovel and across the landscape, I saw a light that had just been lit in a distant farmhouse. There was light even in that darkness. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness never will, never will overcome it. I, I don't know how it is in your house if you ever have had moments of despair over how things are going with your own soul or among those with whom you live. One of the most troubling moments of my pastorate happened some years ago when I was in conversation with a mother whose son, a teenager, had gotten into bad trouble. And she said, oh, Joanna, I've just concluded that boy is hopeless. That's despair. Don't ever go there. Don't ever go there. Always stay in touch with hope in your heart. And if you don't feel any in there, then just ask God to plant a tiny little seed. And God's spirit will help it grow. If the church of Jesus Christ has a role to play today, should we not be communities of hope amidst engines of despair? And not just glad, happy, sappy people, but people who know and trust that the God who makes promises will keep them. As I close, I want to make a personal testimony. Peter uses the words, be able to witness, give account for the hope that is in you. And I close with these three or four simple things. You don't know me very well, and I don't know you. But I trust we share the need to hope. I'm not an optimist. I, I'm not of the belief that everything's going to turn out all right. But I don't expect everything to turn out badly either. I carry hope in my heart. One of my hopes is that as you and I worship together this week, that I might stand here and say some things and that through the power of God's spirit, you will leave here with a lightness and a joy in your heart. I hope that through the power of God to make all things new, somebody or more than one of you is going to get mad about things that are wrong in our city and in our nation and our world and vow to do at least one thing that you aren't currently doing to bear witness to the light and to God's ability to bring life out of death. 
I hope that your life and mine have some meaning in the grand scheme of things, and I hope that if you have been using your energies to criticize and tear down, I hope you and I both will remember that we're called to build up and never to tear down. I hope that Jesus really is who I have been saying he is for all these years. I hope his overthrow of the powers and principalities that cause so much suffering will finally and fully be realized. I hope there is a kingdom somewhere where the least among us finally get to the front of the line. I think right now of a Choctaw Indian boy I went to school with in Lauderdale County, Mississippi, and how none of the kids at our school ever spoke to him or ever let him eat lunch at their table. I'm hoping that he will be Secretary of State in the Kingdom of God. I hope that you will encounter the spirit of the risen Christ wherever you go. If two fellows on the road to Emmaus could do it, then it could happen to you on West Wesley or Peachtree Circle or Ponce de Leon Avenue. Keep hope in your heart and keep your eyes out for the risen Lord.